I want to invite you to turn in your uh, Bibles to the New Testament, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time here this morning. As you know, we've been uh, looking at the, the book of Exodus, specifically the life of, of Moses and what does he has to teach us about the Christian life. Well, this morning, we're going to break off from that and look at James chapter 3. A little bit about uh, the book of James before I read this passage. Uh, James is like the New Testament book of Proverbs, you might say. Uh, it's a book about wisdom. Uh, what underlies uh, everything that, that James talks about is an understanding of the gospel, I think, understanding of God's grace and Salvation found in Christ alone. In chapter 1, he talks about uh, temptation or, or testing, the experience of that, and what to be on the lookout for that, especially in light of temptation. Chapter 2 gets into being doers of the word. It's one thing James talks about to, uh, to have religion or know the truth. It's another thing uh, to apply that, to walk in obedience and to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. And in James chapter 3, he kind of switches gears uh, a little bit again and talks about the tongue, talks about our speech and the sins that relate uh, to the tongue. He starts out, as we're going to read here in a moment, with a strong warning towards teachers, and then he gets into this uh, lesson, if you will, about uh, speech and the use of the tongue. So having said that, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read James uh, chapter 3, verses 1 uh, through 12. I'm going to read uh, 126, and then we'll, we'll read uh, together 3, uh, 1 through 12. Verse one, chapter 126 goes like this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. James 3, starting in verse 1, goes like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Any, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on, consider what a great forest is set on fire by small sparks. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself sets on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no one, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we hear uh, some strong warnings, some strong instruction, and we pray that you would uh, give us soft hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and feet quick to respond in faith. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated? 
Uh, think about these uh, famous words that we've, uh, many of us will be familiar with in history and maybe a little bit in um, our contemporary setting. Uh, Here I stand, I can do no other. It's Martin Luther. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong. We hold these truths to be self-evident. The Declaration of Independence. God is dead. Nietzsche. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. Franklin Roosevelt. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ronald Reagan. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Gandhi. I, do not ha- I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Bill Clinton. With great power must come great responsibility. Peter Parker's uncle in Spider-Man. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Anonymous. Yo, Adrian, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind marrying me or Tumpton. Rocky. Are you ready for some football? Hank Williams, Jr. Uh, Just do it. Nike. God must have spent a little more time on you. NSYNC. Uh, Make America great again. Donald Trump. I do. Anyone who gets married. Words matter. Words have impact. Words have uh, the power to communicate truth, to, to build up and to tear down. Words and what they say are incredibly important to us. They have the power to give life and to give death. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The Bible is very quick uh, to condemn words of speech and to be critical of those words when it needs to be. Think about the first sin after the fall was the sin of speech. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they they partake of of the tree that they should not have taken of. God confronts them in the garden. And what's the first sin of speech? It's Adam blaming Eve. Uh, It's her fault. It's your fault, God, for giving her to me, a sin of speech. You think about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. We read how Isaiah is caught up in this vision. He sees uh, God there, and these angels worshiping him. Holy, holy, holy is the God Almighty. They, they had this, this mantra going. And what does that do to Isaiah? It breaks him. He declares how he is just undone by it, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. He points to his speech. He points to the use of his tongue and his language and what he has uttered. That's the thing that he goes to that breaks him. What James is doing to us in this passage is he's warning us. He's instructing us. He's sobering us to the realities of how powerful our tongue is. Small muscle that has so much influence in our lives. So what I want to do is unpack this passage like this. I want to talk about the power of the tongue. I want to spend just a couple moments talking about the nature of the tongue. And then lastly, I want us to think about what does the tongue reveal? And I think in that that revealing, that last point, we'll get a little bit glimpse of the gospel uh, in our lives. So first, the the power of the tongue. Go back to to verse 3 in James chapter 3. He gives three uh, quick illustrations about the tongue, if you will. 
He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, he says. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. You think about a horse. You can put a a five-year-old on top of a horse, and if there's a bit in the horse of that mouth, that little girl, that probably weighs maybe a third or a fourth of what that horse is, can control that horse. Go forward, backward, right, left, fast, slow. The power that is in that one bit, and so is the power of the tongue when it's put to use. He compares it to a rudder. Uh, that, that small uh, tool, that small piece of equipment, that small part can control a ship. Ships can be uh, steered, the wind blowing this way and that way, yet with that rudder, it's able to direct that ship the way it should go. And so is the tongue. It's like a rudder upon our lives and in our lives. And lastly, he uses the illustration of spark of fire. That tongue is like a spark of fire. It can it's capable of, of doing great damage. Just a little word, a couple words here and there can start up this huge blaze. When I was a kid, we loved, I loved fireworks. I loved bottle rockets. And I loved going to the field, an empty field with my friends, and, and lighting off these bottle rockets and seeing what we could do with them. And I can remember one afternoon lighting off these bottle rockets and somebody yelling out, fire. And everybody made a beeline to that spot and to put that fire out. Just a couple sparks from a firecracker. It's the same thing with our tongues. It's the same thing with our speech. It can cause incredible damage. We think we're saying harmless words. We think we're just saying something that's able to do great uh, devastation, great destruction. Think about some examples of the destructive power of the tongue in our lives, in our circumstances. Shallow words can be devastating. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, let's do lunch? Or you said to somebody, let's do lunch, and you have no intention of doing lunch with that person. You have no desire to get together with that. You're just being nice. But those words promote just a shallow relationship that you want to maintain with that person. You think about listening. So many times we don't listen to people because we're busy talking. And we're talking and talking and talking and talking. And we're not, by talking so much, we don't allow space to listen to other people. We don't allow other people to ask us questions. We can use our talking as a defense mechanism. We can take up all the space so people don't have an opportunity to ask us questions, to get to know us. And we can be on the defensive. We can be on the offensive as well by just talking and talking and not allowing space to listen and be in communication. Words can be devastating in the form of, of flattery in the sense that we use flattery often enough when we want to get something from somebody. We'll say nice things to somebody that we just want to get something in return from them. We're exposed to this false flattery all the time in our, in our advertising as in a way as, as an example. You'll hear things like, sure, it costs a little more, but you're worth it. Or you deserve a little break today. Those are words of flattery. They're not not serious. They're not authentic. They're just there to get something from you. Gossip. 
uh, gossip is that uh, ability to confess other people's sin. And we know how destructive this is. Some of us have been in situations where somebody has, or a friend of us has, has said something gossipy about somebody, and it kind of puts us on guard, if you will, because we begin to think, if they're saying that about this person, what do they say about me when I'm not around? It promotes insecurity. It promotes uh, relationships that are not uh, stable. Perhaps you've been in a situation where you've been slandered. But somebody has spoken negatively or falsely about you. I can remember uh, hearing somebody talk about they were walking out of a, a church meeting some weeks ago, and they were behind uh, two gentlemen that, that was in front of him, and he could hear their conversation, and he heard them talking about him and how hurtful that was for him. I can imagine next time he sees those men, how on guard he's going to be, how frustrated he's going to be, how bitter he's going to be. Words have the power to bring about great destruction and great damage. But words also have the power to give great life and strength and encouragement. And we know this by experience too. I can remember running my first uh, 5K, a a three-mile-plus race, if you will, And uh, my wife, Janelle, had signed up for the same race, too. She had run a 5K. She had run three-plus miles. I had never run that far uh, at the time. And so here I was, a group of people, 300-so folks, ready to run this race. We go, and we break out. We're going and going and going. And I can remember just like, man, all these people are going so fast. I can barely keep up. And Janelle's just cruising along like this is not a big deal. And we get to that that last, uh, maybe, maybe have like, half a mile to go in the race. It felt like we had like forever to go. But I remember seeing this one guy running backward, running at us, running the opposite direction. And he had obviously, you could tell by his, by his appearance, that he had already run the race, he'd already finished, but he was running back to cover the course to encourage everybody that was still running, to say, keep going, keep going, you've got a little bit far to go, just keep it up, just keep it up. And those words were so empowering. I can remember seeing the finish line and seeing uh, people on the sidelines cheering us on to keep going, keep going, keep going. Words can be empowering. They can be encouraging. They can give strength. They can give great motivation to move forward. Proverbs 18 summarizes James' James's words uh, like this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's think a little bit about the, the nature of our words, the nature of the tongue. Look at verse 6 in chapter 3. He writes, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poisons. That's some strong language that James has to think about the tongue. He says the tongue is like a fire. And I think he uses that that, that metaphor, that comparison, if you will, because the power that, that the tongue has to destroy, the power the tongue has to bring about great wickedness and great destruction, We talked earlier about how hurtful gossip is 
to our relationships. It, it, it makes our relationships shallow. It brings about distance and, and barriers and, and how heartbreaking slander can be when we experience it. Dan Doriani suggests two things about the nature of the tongue. The tongue is, is a fire because of its character, because of the character of the tongue. Speech that you think about every uh, form of, of wickedness, it begins with speech. Uh, nobody just starts a ball fight without saying anything, but before you fight, words are exchanged. It's the, the character of the tongue. The tongue is a fire because of its influence. It corrupts the whole person, meaning this. It, it's one thing to think something negative. It's one thing to think something um, uh, bad or uh, mean about somebody, but when you say it, it, has, it makes it that much more real. And this is why I think that, that James talks about the tongue like a fire. Or think about it like this. Uh, he talks about how the, 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 nobody can tame the tongue. Nobody can control it. Uh, we can tame anything. You think about the, the pets in your home. Uh, we can teach them certain things. Do this, don't do that. We have circus animals that can do these great tricks. You go to, to SeaWorld, these sea creatures that can do these great things, but we cannot tame the tongue. We can't get mastery over it. It eludes us. Think about it like this, if you don't believe me. Try the next seven days never lying. Try going the next seven days without speaking negatively about somebody. Try going the next seven days not defending yourselves. Try going the next seven days without gossiping. Try going the next seven days without uh, telling even a white lie. We can't control our tongues. We can't tame us. And at least what James is doing is, is certainly warning us about the, the power of the tongue. But I think he wants us to take us to, to a deeper level and to at least highlight and show to us that we may be worse than we think we are. If you're feeling good about, I'm not that bad of a person, I've got my life together, I'm doing this, this, and this, James says, okay, let's think about your speech. Let's think about your language. Let's think about the words that you've used and why you communicated them the past week. The tongue has the power to reveal great things about us. Look at this, for this last point, verse 9. He writes, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We have been made in God, who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt, a salt spring produce fresh water. What James is doing, he's just pointing out the inconsistencies of it all, the, the gaps that are there, the, the same tongue that we can use on a morning like this to sing praises to God, to, to pray to him, to, 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 to read his word, is the same tongue that we use to curse and to slander and to gossip about other people. And James is saying that's inconsistent. It, it doesn't add up. It, it should not be together. You were created in God's image. It, it just doesn't uh, work that way. And he gives these illustrations of, can a spring produce fresh water and salt water? No, it, it just doesn't work like that. Can a tree make figs and olives? No, it, it doesn't work like that. 
Some of you will remember the, the, the early 90s, mid-90s TV uh, sitcom Seinfeld. And there's one episode. I think most of anything in life can be explained by Seinfeld, okay? There's one episode in Seinfeld where Jerry has this marathon runner that he's hosting in his apartment. For whatever reason, he's hosting this marathon runner that's going to run the New York City uh, Marathon. And he's just got to get him up, and he's got to get him to the, the starting line to run this race. He's, he's an international uh, he comes from overseas, and he's going to run this race, and he's probably going to do really well. And Jerry gets him there, and then you, you know, you've seen a marathon race like this. You know that there's water stations that are set throughout the race. And so you've got volunteers who have cups of water just sitting there, and you run by, and you grab a cup of water, you drink it, and you just throw the cup to the ground. And that's one of the next scenes, next scenes that you see is this water station table with cups of water there and volunteers handing out water. But you've got Kramer standing nearby, and he's got this cup of, paper cup of hot tea that he's holding in his hand, and he's out there cheering on the runners. And Jerry's runner that he's been hosting comes running along, and at that moment, Kramer gets distracted, but he's got his tea, hot tea held out like this, and that runner sees that cup, and he sees Kramer, and it's like, oh, Kramer's got some water for me or some Gatorade. He grabs that cup, and he drinks it, and you just hear him screaming off, scene, off screen because he's drinking this hot tea. It's not what you expect. He's expecting Gatorade. He's expecting water. And it's the same with how we use our tongues. We've been, those things, that tongue has been given to us by God. We use it to praise him. It's inconsistent for us to use that same tongue to curse others around us. You could put what James is saying in another way. Cursing men results from a lack of consistently praising God. The reason we're, that our tongue is, is moving towards witness, wickedness and maliciousness and dividing and bringing about shallow relationships and, and distance in our relationships is because of our failure to consistently praise God. And, a, and a, uh, the habit of consistently not praising God comes when we don't allow God to control our lives, when we don't allow God to be the controlling influence in our lives. Now think about how destructive it can be when you give up on God being a controlling influence in your life. Maybe it looks like this. You come to a point in your life or a season in your life, you think, well, God, I just don't think you care about me anymore. You're not answering my prayers. Things have been really difficult for this season, and so I'm starting to, to wonder whether you really care for me or really concerned about me. And when that happens, you say, well, God's not going to care for me, so I've got to care for myself. I've got to be in charge of my life. I've got to solve my problems. My identity is, is going other places, which opens up the door for being critical of others. I want to tear down others so I can feel better about myself, so I can feel good about myself. God's not telling me anything. He's not giving up on, he's given up on me is my mindset, and so I've got to look for it and feel okay in other places. Lack of praising God, lack of, of God being the controlling influence in our lives moves us or helps us to see how we can be inconsistent in how we use our mouths. But here's the thing about our poor speech. Our, our speech is the fruit and not the root. Our, our speech is the symptom of a deeper problem. Uh, Jesus says in, Jan- in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You think about the, the, the truth that's behind that, that, what he's trying to communicate there. 
it helps to understand anything about like this. Sometimes we're just not good at evaluating ourselves in our own lives. We, we kind of justify everything about us. But when we think about just our speech and just our words and what we're saying to other people and the tone that we're using, it communicates a lot about our hearts. It communicates a lot about what we think about God and what we think about other people. It communicates to us a lot about the, the truth that we're telling ourselves over and over. Ask yourself this question, what does your speech reveal about you this morning? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you jealous? Are you sad? Are you in need? What does your speech communicate about your heart this morning? And the answer to that question is going to drive you towards understanding the bad news of the gospel. The bad news of the gospel is we're sinners. We're broken. That our default is to break the law, is to do things that please ourselves and things that don't please our Lord and our Savior, which really gets at the scandal of the cross, the scandal of the gospel. We think about uh, men and women who have done evil things, things that just seem unforgivable. Men that, that, that we've seen on TV that have done these heinous crimes. The scandal of the gospel is there's opportunity for grace. There's opportunity for forgiveness there's opportunity for those individuals to be made right. That's the bad news of the gospel. Tim Keller and how he talks about the different kinds of fire that we see in the scripture reminds us of the, the good news. We've got fire that we see in this passage. Our tongues can be like a fire that come from hell. This wickedness that can come out of us. There's that kind of fire. But think about the fire that we see in Acts chapter 2. The tongues of fire that come down. You've got the apostles gathered around. It's, it's moments, seemingly moments after, after Jesus has, has gone and been ascended on high. And the apostles are out preaching. It's the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit comes upon them. And you see these tongues, these flames of fire upon them. And these men and women, after hearing this, this, this sermon, after hearing the gospel, begin to praise God. Not because he's the creator of all things. Not because he's, he's mighty, but particularly because he's their Savior. Praising God because this cross put to death their Lord. And after that cross, Jesus raised from the dead. The glory of that, the implications of that, that your sin can be forgiven. That God can forgive you of all the, the sins of your speech, of your gossip, of your slander, of your words of anger, your words of bitterness, your words of, of doubt and criticism, that all those things can be forgiven. And there's real change for us because God just doesn't change our tongues, but he changes our hearts. Think about what Jesus got on the cross. God got, Jesus got God's silence. He didn't get any words from his father at all. He asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did Jesus hear? He heard nothing. He heard God's silence. And the reason he got God's silence is so that we could have words of grace. We could have words of forgiveness. We could have words of pardon and acceptance and invitations to rest, to find our worth and our identity in God, to allow him to be the controlling influence in our lives 
over our lives. And when we do commit sins of speech, when we say something that we know is, was just horribly wrong and destructive, we can go back to the cross. We can go back to those moments where we know that Jesus got silent so that I could get forgiveness, so that I could get words of grace. What does your speech communicate to you about your heart? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you frustrated? Are you full of doubt? The invitation of the cross is to go to him and to know that God received silence so that we could receive words of mercy and grace. Would you pray with me? Father God, we know our need. A quick check of how we have spoken just this morning reveals so much. We know how destructive the tongue can be. We know how destructive the words that we utter can be because we've issued those words and we've seen the destruction of it. We also know the weight of how hurtful it can be and how debilitating and how it can just take life from us. Father God, we pray that you would help us to be consistent that you would give us tongues full of praise to you, full of desire to bring you glory and honor, that you would work in and through us all for your glory. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.